when Wells Crowther was six years old. Uh, he admired his dad, who was a volunteer firefighter in New York City, and he aspired to, to serve alongside his dad, which he would ultimately do. And when he was six years old, his dad passed along to him some, some, an idea, a gift, and some information that went along with it, as dads often do. He gave Wells a red bandana, uh, and he said, a lot of times when people work they, and when they're dressed up, they wear white handkerchiefs. White handkerchiefs are for show. Your red bandana is for work. Always have it with you. And from the time he was six years old, all of his life, Wells Crowther carried that red bandana. He had it with him everywhere he went. When he was a teenager playing sports, he always had that red bandana with him. It was kind of a joke with his friends, but everybody called him the guy with the red bandana. When he was a teenager, he volunteered as a fireman in New York City alongside his dad and other firefighters, and he always carried the red bandana. When he went to Boston College and he played lacrosse, he always carried the red bandana. He always had the red bandana with him. And when he graduated college and went to work with a financial institution that was officed on the 104th floor of the South Tower, of the Twin Towers, he always carried his red bandana to work. On September 11, Flight 175 cut a swath between floors 78 and 80 on the South Tower. Debris and ash flew everywhere. And Wells was at work that day in the South Tower and immediately started helping people. In fact, one woman says that she was blown back by the blast of the airliner when it came through and when she got up in the dust and the ash, she, all she could see were the bodies of her co-workers all around her and she was crying out for help and dazed and confused and disoriented and suddenly she saw through the ash and the smoke in the doorway of her office a man standing there with a red bandana around his face, his nose and his mouth carrying another woman who needed help and he shouted to her, follow me, I know the way out. And Wells led them 17 stories down until they met firefighters and he gave them over to the firefighters and he went back. And he went back again. And he went back again. A woman named Judy said she saw the man in the red bandana coming at her through the dust and the ash. And she had a broken collarbone and a punctured lung and broken ribs. And he grabbed her and he turned to anyone else in the room that was there. He said, stand up, follow me, and if you can, help anyone else that's around. Wells is credited with saving 20 people that day before the South Tower collapsed and he was still in it with firefighters helping other people. He was found six months later under the debris in the middle of bodies of firefighters all around him. The man with the red bandana. Heroism can be cultivated. Heroism can be grown. Heroism can be passed along as a legacy to others. But heroism is not an activity. Heroism is a character response. It comes from inside the person. It's cultivated and fostered over time, and it comes from a heart of a person that understands there are things bigger than them, and sometimes that means sacrificing their lives for others.
Heroism is not an activity, it's a mindset. It's a, an operation of character that comes from the inside out. In our series in Hebrews chapter 11, we've been talking about heroes of the faith, and the her heroic faith is much like all other heroism. It can be cultivated, it can be fostered, it can be grown, but it's not an activity, it's a mindset. It comes from the heart of the person who's made a decision to practice heroic faith, and when the call comes to do that, they know it's time, and that's what they do. Go back with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Find this time verse 13. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13. So far, the writer to the Hebrews has been uh, cataloging this roll call of faith. And each time, he starts with the statement, by faith, by faith, by faith. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. And by faith, Sarah. He's going to return to Abraham, as we'll see soon. But right now he's going to pause and, there's, and have an interlude here. He, he's, rather than give a, an example of faith, he's going to give a description of heroic faith. The kind of faith that we want to cultivate and build a legacy from. And the reason he's doing this, I think, is because of that question. When, when you catalog these great people of faith, these heroes of the faith, you might ask the question, can I be like that? What will people remember about me, my faith? Can I be that kind of person? And, and so he pauses and he describes the faith that all of these people have in common. This is what they are like. This is the characteristics of their faith. So look with me at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. We're going to read together this interlude, this pause. And I want us to remember today one thing. God calls us to cultivate heroic faith. God calls us to cultivate heroic faith and to pass that faith along. And if you've been in the series, you know the key trait, the key quality of this kind of faith is trusting God for what you cannot see. But we need to be reminded of that over and over because our tendency is to look at our circumstances, to look at what we see and ask God to help us now with this, with what we want, with what we see. But this kind of faith says, I can trust God for what I do not see. And anyone can cultivate that kind of faith. This is what the Bible says. After cataloging this roll call, he pauses and writes, These all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised. But they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who, may, excuse me, those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. But... They now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. He says, these all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised. You can tell right away there's a difference. Uh, so far, uh, the recitation of by faith, by faith, by faith has continued since the chapter opened, but he pauses and he, instead of saying by faith, he says these all died in faith. Very literally, the, uh, the phrase can be translated uh, as a, a, a according to this faith. That is, according to a principle of faith, these all died. And it's at the first of the sentence, which in that the ancient language of Greek means it's the statement of most importance in everything he's just said. He wants this up front. They died by this principle of faith. This is what they all had in common. They, they didn't have a lot of other things in common. They didn't have the same lifestyles, not always the same background. Some had successes, some had failures. 
But here's what they had in common. They lived by this principle of faith. So it's the same faith with with the same characteristics. But notice what his point is. His point is that they lived by this principle of faith until they died. See, when we think of trusting God for what we need, what we want, or what God's going to do in our lives, we think of right now. And often, sadly, that's the legacy we pass along to our children and grandchildren. God will answer your prayers right now. Tell God what you want right now. Uh, What's sad about that is then if things don't go like we want them to right now, then we tend to think God has let us down or we think our faith is not strong enough. But what stands out in this heroic faith and these heroes of the faith that pass along their legacy to us is they served this principle of faith. They believed this same kind of faith and practiced it until they died. Even though what they asked for, what they prayed for, and what God had promised did not come about in their lifetime. They didn't didn't stop believing God. They didn't stop trusting God. They didn't stop thinking God doesn't love me. They didn't start thinking that. They didn't start thinking that maybe my faith is not strong enough. They never believed that God wasn't faithful. They always believed that he was faithful until the day they died. Even if they didn't see what God had promised, they still believed. Trusted God for what they could not see. That's what heroic faith does. It's a different kind of faith. It's not faith that lives in the moment. It's faith that looks beyond the moment and trusts God for what comes next, for what we don't see, and even believes that trusting God for what we cannot see means that what we cannot see is better than we can imagine. God has something greater in store for those who will trust him all of their lives for what they cannot see. Trust him even if what they think they want God to do or what they believe God will do doesn't happen in their lifetime. They go to their grave trusting God for what they cannot see. That's what sets this kind of faith apart. And God calls us to cultivate a legacy of that kind of heroic faith. Faith that for a lifetime trusts God for what we cannot see. Faith that doesn't say, well, God, you didn't do this in my life the the way I thought you would. I just don't believe you anymore. Or God, why did I have to go through this? I just don't trust you anymore. No, this kind of faith says God knows what's best. God is in control. God is with me now, (laughs) has not let me down. And I will trust God no matter what. Let's break it down for a few minutes. I want you to see with me some characteristics of this principle of faith, this heroic faith that they all had in common. And this is what all these people have in common in Scripture and what all believers through the ages have in common when they trust God for what they cannot see. Uh, For example, heroic faith embraces the promise, embraces God's promise. We read it this way, but they saw them, what? The promises of God from a distance and greeted them. Uh, They didn't see them physically. What's he talking about? With eyes of faith. They saw on the horizon what God promised. They always believed that it was out there. God's promises were there. And whatever God promised, God would come through with. God is always faithful to his promises. So these people of faith, these heroes of the faith, lived with spiritual eyesight that always looked out on the horizon to believe God's promise was coming. And not only did they believe God's promise was coming, they embraced God's promise. We read it as they greeted the promises of God. The term means they welcomed God's promises with open arms. Even though they didn't see it come about in their lifetime, they had a grip on God's promises. They, They 
embraced his promises and lived wholeheartedly in the belief that out there on the horizon, God's promises would be fulfilled in their lifetime. It's that kind of faith that can let go of the problems and burdens and and pressures that, that we experience day by day. It's that kind of faith that can cling to God's promises no matter what and say, I know God is faithful. It might not be right here and right now, but God is faithful. God is faithful. I'll embrace those promises. Another way to look at it is the difference between half-hearted faith and wholehearted faith. If you have a hard time getting your mind around embracing the promises of God, look at it this way. Am I, am I invested in God's promises wholeheartedly? Do I trust Him completely and wholeheartedly with what He has promised? Or I'm just kind of half-hearted into it. I'll keep one foot in my plan and then now and then I'll acknowledge God's plan and see how it goes. And if it doesn't go my way, well, I've still got my fallback. I've got my plan. Now, these people are heroes of the faith because it was out there and they greeted it and welcomed it and embraced the promises of God because they knew their God and their faith was in Him. So this kind of heroic faith embraces the promise, God's promise. And secondly, this kind of heroic faith that we should aspire to and cultivate commits to the journey, commits to the journey. Uh, we read that they confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. So in their mind's eye, in their spiritual faith, they see on the horizon the promises of God, and they embrace those. Here, here comes God. God's going to do something. God's going to fulfill his promises. They embrace that. So then they live according to that. See, what you believe always dictates how you behave. Remember that. What you believe always dictates how you behave. If you trust God with something and it doesn't go your way, what you do next says less about you than what you believe about God. Yeah. How you and I behave when we say we trust God, what we, how we live when we say we trust God for what we cannot see, speaks volumes to what we actually believe about God. And if we believe that God is always faithful to his promises, it changes the way that we live. And if we believe that God has called us to cultivate a faith that trusts him for what we cannot see, it changes the way we live. And the difference is being embedded in this life so much, you can't live open-handed. You can't live as a sojourner in this world because you're tied to this world. You say you're a Christian, you say you live by faith, but the truth is your life is pretty much like everybody else's life that's not a Christian. The only difference is you go to church and you say you live by faith. But you are tied to this life. But if you adopt and cultivate the faith that says, I am a sojourner, I'm on a journey in this life, then you set yourself free from what, what this life says life is all about and you start following Christ faithfully. And that's the key here. We are on a journey. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're a follower of Christ. By definition, that means you're on a journey. You go where the master says, you do what the master says. You live for the master, you follow Christ. You adopted that journey the moment you trusted Jesus as your, favor, as your savior. But the key is, are you consistently trusting Christ and following him and letting go of the things of this world? Things that you're tied to. 
the mindset of the heroic faith in this chapter is the mindset of a person that completely commits wholeheartedly to the journey of following Christ, even excitement of following Christ. That's how we get to that horizon, to, to see those promises fulfilled, because we're following Christ. We say every day and every moment, I will faithfully follow Christ. Uh, these verses bear out two parts of that, what you say and how you live. Notice they confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. The moment you trusted Christ as your Savior, the moment you said yes to Jesus, just like the people of ancient faith, you said, you confessed, I am now a temporary resident of this earth. My home is elsewhere. I, I'm even a foreigner, a sojourner. I'm on a journey through this life because my home is elsewhere. And that's how they live. Those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. They are literally desiring a fatherland. That's what that phrase means. Uh, that is to say, they have in their hearts, they desire what God has for them. The home God has for them. Their heart is no longer tied to this. Their eyes are no longer looking at the circumstances, but looking with faith at what God has. And their heart and their feet are now working for Jesus. Following Christ and their heart is yearning for Christ more and more day by day and what Jesus wants in their lives. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, okay, does that mean that if I surrender everything to Jesus, if I say I'm a follower of Christ, and maybe I've said that in the past, if I adopt that mindset of the sojourner that this is, this is not my permanent residence, my permanent residence is in the Father's homeland. If I adopt that, if I say that, does that mean God's automatically going to scoop me up and send me to another nation to, to be a missionary? What does that mean? Well, what it means is you live in a state of readiness. That your life is not your own. And the Bible teaches there's nothing wrong with building a life, having a home, having a family, having a job. All those things are good things, but you do them under his direction. You're following Christ. And he might change the location and change what he wants you to do. He might have put you in the job that you're in because he knows he wants to move you from there somewhere else. Or maybe more likely, he knows who he wants you to impact in that job. He knows what he wants you to do. When you adopt the mindset that you're on a journey instead of tied to this life, when you adopt the mindset that, that this is not all there is, that my homeland is elsewhere, it liberates you to look for what God is doing and to follow Christ faithfully wherever he would lead you, whatever relationships, whatever job, whatever destination or place that he wants you to be. It sets you free to do just that. Stephen Baldwin, the actor, you know, the, the four Baldwin brothers, they're all well-known actors. Alec Baldwin, probably the best known, and right now, not for the best reasons. But still, Stephen Baldwin, the youngest of the four, it, you may know is a very devout follower of Christ. What you may not know is how he became a follower of Christ and that it was directly related to 9-11. The story goes something like this. Uh, when he first began acting, he was making a lot of money. He was pretty much invested in the whole world, uh, the worldview of Hollywood and acting just like his brothers were. Everything was going great, and that was his mindset, living for himself and living in this life for himself. And he met a, a Brazilian woman named Kenya, and they fell in love, and they got married. Well, Kenya told Stephen that in, in Brazil... Most families, who, especially those of means, have housekeepers, so we need to get a housekeeper. 
So they hired a lady, a housekeeper named Augusta, who also was Brazilian. And the first week Augusta started working at the Baldwin household, she started singing in Portuguese while she worked. Stephen didn't know what she was singing. He just knew she was singing in Portuguese, but his wife Kenya knew exactly that she was singing about Jesus. So after the first week and after all this singing, Kenya asked her, why are you singing just about Jesus while you're cleaning my house? And Augusta laughed. And she said to her, why are you laughing? And Augusta said, because you think I'm here to clean your house. And this is the story she told her. She said, when I was in Brazil, I was having prayer, a prayer meeting with friends and my pastor, and God revealed to me that I would be going to work for Stephen and Kenya Baldwin and that I was to take Jesus to their home because Stephen Baldwin would come to Christ and start a ministry. And that's exactly what she did. Not long after that, Kenya went to church with her. Kenya got saved, came to faith in Christ. When Stephen talks about the intervening months after that, there's two things he says. He says his wife came to him and said, you need to understand something now. I follow Christ. You may not always understand my decisions. You may not always understand my devotion to Jesus. But you need to understand, Stephen, I follow Christ. Now, he said in the Hollywood culture, people have have all kinds of worldviews and say all kinds of things, and he just kind of brushed it off and said, okay, fine by me. But then he started seeing the change in his wife's life, and he describes it as a metamorphosis, an extraordinary change in which her devotion to Christ wholeheartedly took her over. She started seeing things differently. Her values changed. Her worldview changed. Her love for him didn't change. If anything, it deepened, but she lived for Christ. And then 9-11 happened. And Stephen Baldwin says, that's what shook me to my foundation. He wondered, is there not more to this life than the way that I live? And through Kenya and Augusta, Stephen Baldwin came to faith in Christ. You know why all that happened? Because a woman in Brazil named Augusta lived in a state of readiness. She believed she was on a journey living a life that was not her own. And if God wanted to move her, she would move and let God use her however he wanted to. To commit to the journey means to commit to following Christ. He is your master no matter what. He may leave you right where you are for the remainder of your life, and you live in the worldview of a state of readiness. I will do whatever he asks me to do. Talk to whomever he asks me to talk to. Change whatever he wants me to change. It's a perspective of living with your hands wide open. It's a perspective that says, I'm ready to give. I'm ready to be generous. I'm ready to to serve whatever God wants me to do. But I live on a journey in this life. I'm I'm not here for this world. I'm here for him. Uh, The last two weeks, I've talked to two of our church families who are currently living in temporary residences. Uh, They have sold their homes, and they're getting ready to either build or buy another home. Good for you. God bless you. I think you're both in here. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But if Jesus said, you know what? I want you to stay in that temporary residence so you can be freed up 
to do more for him. That's where your faith says, yes, I'm on a journey in this life. Or if Jesus says, well, you thought you were going to buy a new home over here. I want you to buy it over here because these people need Jesus in this community. We're always following Christ. We're always serving him. It's being committed to the journey that makes it heroic faith. Then last, heroic faith anticipates the destination. Heroic faith anticipates the destination. Heroic faith is always looking out and forward to where God wants us to go. Look at verse 15 again. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. Uh, but now they desire a better place, a heavenly one. Uh, this is actually one sentence in the original language. And, and the writer is focusing in on the difference in mindset. If they had been thinking about this forward motion, this promise, this place they lived, uh, and, and when they were thinking about it, they were thinking about the past. And interesting, he says they could have gone back. They could have had an opportunity to go back. Could have gone back to where they came from. Meaning God would have let them do that. You know, Jesus said that. He would call people out and they would say, well, first I've got to bury my dead. Or first I've got to do this and first I've got to do that. And he said, well, you're not, you're not ready. You're not ready. Uh, Jesus said, if you put your hand to the plow and keep looking back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. You're not ready. You're not ready. Because following Christ is wholesale, wholehearted commitment to the journey. And that journey we know, no matter where God takes us in this life, we all have the same destination, ultimately. And people of this kind of faith have embedded in their hearts that desire for the homeland, that desire for God's land. And they know that God is preparing for them a place. Just as Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you, and if I do, I'm going to come back and receive you to myself. He's building that place for you. That's what you have in your, in your eye of faith. That's what you're always looking forward to. Even as we live in this life, God sets us free from the things of this world so we can faithfully live for him. The circumstances happen, but you look at the circumstances with eyes of faith. Problems take place, pain and suffering sometimes in this life, but we know there is a greater life ahead. We know that God has a greater destination for us and we're living for Christ for him. In this interlude we pause and we're reminded what every person of faith who faithfully serves Christ has in common is this principle of faith. I serve him. And I can cultivate that character. I can cultivate that faith. I can learn to trust God for what I do not see. If you're stuck on the things you're looking at, stuck on the things in your life, look up and with your spiritual eyes, look out to what God wants you to do. And let God cultivate in your heart that desire for that homeland and live for him here, passionate about being home with him there. He'll use you, he'll have you here as long as he desires. Serve him faithfully here, but no, one day, someday, you'll go home. And the Bible consistently and constantly reminds us of that. Key ideas and pictures all throughout the Bible remind us that we are not home. Did you know even Sunday reminds us of that? The Sabbath hope, the Sabbath peace, the Sabbath being our home. This is a reminder Then we go back out into that world. We're, we're, we're just sojourners in this world. 
but we live for Christ day by day while we're here until he takes us home. Can you cultivate that kind of faith? Maybe there's something you're worried about, something you're concerned about. The circumstances you're looking at, that's not very good. Remember God's promises. Set your focus on his promises and what he's going to do. And, and follow Christ in this journey of faith. The way the passage closes to me is extraordinary. Over the years I have mulled over, meditated, been surprised over and over again by that last closing phrase. Therefore, God was not ashamed to be called their God, but was building a city for them. What in the world does that mean? God was not ashamed to be called their God. Well, remember the, the roll call of faith. And if you, read your, if you know your Bible well, you've read it much, you, you've heard this over and over in Scripture. He is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And the Bible here in this text reminds us that when God hears them call him that, when they hear him say, God is the God of Abraham, God is the God of Isaac, God is the God of Jacob, God is not ashamed of that. The reverse is God likes that. God is glad for that because they lived by faith. And because they lived by faith, God is not ashamed to be called their God. In fact, he is building a city for them so they can come home and be with him. So here's the question. How does God respond when your name is inserted, when my name is inserted? The God of Bob. And people know him as the God of Bob. And people know Jesus as the God of Bob. The same Jesus, the same God. And people know him that way. How does he respond to that? Do you think he responds, I'm not ashamed to be called Bob's God? How does he respond when your name is associated with him? Maybe right now you wonder. But remember, the roll call of faith is not about perfect people. And that's the beauty of it. That's the wonder of it. That's the joy and the grace of it, that all of us can aspire to this kind of faith. <clears throat> and all of us find our God to be faithful to forgive us in those times we let him down. In those times, we might be ashamed to come to him and we might wonder what he thinks of us, but he calls us back. When we ask, he forgives us, he cleanses us, and he lets us start over. May we all leave this place heads held high, looking forward to what God's going to do, walking in faith, trusting God for what we cannot see, and waiting to hear those resounding words when we arrive at the home God's building for us. Welcome home, good and faithful servant. I was not ashamed to be called your God because you trusted me for what you could not see. And you lived in faith. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, there might be some in this room that are struggling, even now with their faith. Struggling, God, with who they are with what's going on in their lives. Struggling to believe you for what they cannot see. Desiring to aspire <clears throat> to a greater faith, a deeper faith, a heroic faith. 
God, I pray for all of us. I pray for all of us, Father, that you would forgive us, God, for faithless lives. Cleanse us, Father, of that. Set our minds once again on the things above. Set our minds on the journey ahead. Remind us, Father, you never leave us or forsake us, but you're always here with us in all things. And God, will praise you and we will thank you for that. Heavenly Father, as we go into a time of response, I also pray, Father, for those who need to come to Christ today. I pray for those at home, God, and those in this house that have never trusted Christ as their Savior. That today would be the day they give their lives to Jesus Christ. That they be forgiven of their sins and start over. And God, I pray for believers in this room and at home as well. Because God, we know we faltered in our faith. We wavered, we wandered off, we may have even denied you, God. And Father, we ask your forgiveness for that. And I pray, Father, you turn things around for us today. You give us hope, give us strength for this journey, God. Help us to remember we're serving Christ today, following Christ today on this wonderful journey of faith. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.